small cap stocks had quite a roller coaster ride in 2020. The first quarter of the year was the worst for the space, while the fourth quarter marked the strongest small cap performance in history, and the upward trajectory has continued into 2021. Now the questions become, how long will conditions stay favorable for small caps? What role does cyclicality play? And which sectors are poised to benefit? This is Markets in Focus from Carillon Tower Advisors. I'm your host, Matt Orton. Join me and my colleagues as we discuss the latest trends and developments driving the markets. Visit us at marketsinfocuspodcast.com for additional episodes and insights. Eric Mintz, Portfolio Manager on the Eagle Asset Management Small and Mid-Cap Growth Team, and Tim Miller, Portfolio Co-Manager for Scout Investment Small Cap Products, join me now to chart the potential path of small caps. Thank you both for being here today. So Eric, I'm going to start with you. How much longer do you think the outperformance of small caps can continue? And what do you think are the biggest risks for small caps right now? Yeah, thanks, Matt. I certainly think that the small cap rally that we've seen is, as you've pointed out, that began kind of in the second quarter of 2020 can continue. I mean, I think I think we're actually right in the sweet spot of when small caps perform exceptionally well, which is kind of coming out of a recession. And, and clearly, we had a very severe and sharp recession, albeit short-lived in duration. I think that we certainly have another six to nine months of pretty strong performance for small caps. And and certainly when you look, when you think about, you know, the macro backdrop, it's exceptionally positive. I mean, you've got $1.9 trillion of fiscal stimulus about to come into the system. You know, I think of, of the fiscal stimulus that was passed in 2020, there's still $2 trillion of that that hasn't even been funded yet. And then at the same time, you've got exceptionally loose monetary policy, not only here, but globally. And, and that's an important consideration to take into account is that this really is happening on a synchronized global level. Everyone kind of coming out of this pandemic-induced sharp downturn. And that's, that, you know, that's just fodder for this economic expansion that's already really begun in the second half of 2020 and continues to accelerate. And as, as you think about that you know, economic recovery, I think there's, there's two big drivers going in here in 2021 beyond just the stimulus. And, and one is as the vaccines are rolled out, and, and clearly we're seeing acceleration in that. I mean, I think we're running two and a half million vaccines a day now in the U.S. There is, it's just unleashing tremendous pent-up demand for the services side of the economy. And, and it's, no, it's no secret that the leisure travel, hospitality sectors of the economy have absolutely been pummeled during this recession. You know, there, there's clear demand. People want to get back out. They want to, you know, see friends and family they haven't seen in months, if not, you know, over a year. So so we're going to unlock that demand. And then on the, you know, on the manufacturing side of the economy, there's also pretty good stimulus here in that, you know, there's a clear need to restock inventories. Channels are incredibly lean. There's been all kinds of shipping, logistics issues, and we're probably going to see a pretty good amount of investment as um, companies look to reshore their supply chains. So I think those two components, you know, on top of the monetary and, and fiscal stimulus, are going to be pretty strong growth drivers for the economy. And typically, when we do get these expansions, small caps really perform quite well. You know, in terms of the risks. It's no secret that there's clear pockets of froth in this marketplace, in the stock market. 
you know, these um, meme stocks, you know, the uh, the short squeeze and the Reddit favorite names. And obviously there's, you know, there's a lot of activity on these celebrity SPACs, which have raised a tremendous amount of capital. Obviously there's, you know, heightened interest in, in cryptocurrencies and even this new asset class of um, non-fungible assets is really, um, you know, captured people's imaginations. And, and I'm not, I'm not entirely certain you know what it takes to uh, to unwind some of that, but there's definitely animal spirits uh, on the retail side of the ledger in the stock market that that are that are cause for concern. We've already seen kind of a backup in interest rates, uh, pressure overall valuations, and there certainly are areas of the market that are expensive. But um, you know, I think overall that's pretty healthy. And I think you know two other risks that for small caps that are really worth monitoring. That might not be top of mind right now, but could certainly come into the fold. One would be any potential increase in the corporate tax rate, you know, rollback of former President Trump's um, signature legislation was obviously lowering corporate tax rates. And that, you know, it's no secret that President Biden has that kind of on his top of the to-do list to raise corporate tax rates back up. So clearly that would pressure corporate profits and probably... uh, lead to perhaps even um, reduced multiples on earnings in small caps. And then finally, um, you know, profit margins. This is something that, yeah, I'm probably going to refer back to this several times, but it's it's really an area, I think it's almost the inverse of what we had last year, where expectations got absolutely pummeled as the pandemic took hold and people were expecting corporate profits to com- completely collapse. And to some extent they did, but there were cert- certainly areas of the market where companies took drastic action, albeit kind of one-time measures to really control the cost side of the equation. You know, we saw both the, the second quarter, the third quarter, the fourth quarter of 2020, big upside surprises on, on the corporate profit side, especially outside of the um, those hard hit industries that I referred to earlier. So, I, you know, I, I think profit margins, especially as we start to see the, the tightness in the supply chain, you know, tightness in the labor market, that's going to be the key. And, and we're really not going to get our arms around that until we kind of work our way through this first quarter earnings season and get updated outlooks on um, earnings expectations. But I think that that's going to be an area you really want to drill down onto on the risk side of the equation. Right. Those are all really good points. And I want to drill just a little bit deeper into something that you mentioned, which is about the potential rise in interest rates, the amount of really unprecedented fiscal stimulus, loose monetary policy, and what that could do to rates going forward. And Tim, given this sort of backdrop with an improving economy, interest rates moving higher pretty sharply over the past few months, How is that impacting and how could it impact small cap equities going forward? Well, you know, conventional wisdom says that rising interest rates means rising discount rates, which should be bad for stock valuations. But if we look at historical performance, small caps have tended to be one of the best performing asset classes in these rising rate regimes. And they've generally exhibited significant positive returns. Over the last 40 years, the Russell 2000 has actually performed better in rising rate environments than in falling rate environments which is the exact opposite of how the S&P 500 has performed over those time periods. So that means that small caps tend to outperform large caps in these situations. Small cap PE multiples have tended to expand with rising rates, regardless of the magnitude of the rate increase. But that probably has as much to do with strong economic activity and other macro factors as anything else. Another interesting phenomenon of these rising rate environments is that active managers tend to outperform their benchmarks during these time periods. And the bigger the rate rise, the more meaningful the outperformance. 
So I think to summarize, we expect a rising rate environment should be good for active small cap managers like us, but it certainly doesn't happen every single time. Yeah. And so drilling a little bit deeper than a, in the rising rate environment, uh, what happens if inflation starts to increase? The 10-year inflation break-evens are now the highest they've been since the taper tantrum in 2013. And it seems like the consensus is that where we're going to see a significant pickup in inflation going forward. Uh, we can certainly debate that. I think I'm more in the camp with the Fed that it might be transitory. But Eric, I want to throw this to you to, to get your thoughts on whether you think inflation could meaningfully pick up up over the long term? And what do you think the impact of, of this could be? Uh, do you think it's really just going to be base effects or, or temporary dislocations? Or do you think it'll be a longer, longer term? You know, it's interesting that you, you mentioned you share the Fed's viewpoint, because certainly uh, Chairman Powell did everything he could possibly do to emphasize the key point that the Fed believes that the inflationary data that's going to show up in the coming months and, and clearly be biased higher will be temporary in nature. And I, th- I think when you when you consider, you know, the component shortages that we're seeing, whether it's, you know, semiconductors that are in scarce supply that have actually halted auto production lines or some of these shipping and logistical bottlenecks, we're seeing, you know, back up in the port of Long Beach, um, that's continued to hamper uh, production. And then most recently, on the weather side, obviously we've had some, you know, February was was really marred by some pretty severe winter weather. and and most notably what we saw in in Texas, obviously there was a there was a shutdown of power lines for an extended period. So so certainly all three of those factors, without a doubt, fall into that temporary side of the equation. But you just don't you just don't know once, those pressures uh, start rising, what the ability is for people to kind of push through higher prices. And, and as always, in my mind, wages are really going to be the key. And it's really going to be the the overall labor market's ability to attract talent. And I, and I just don't, I don't think we're going to get a great answer on this question. And it is a very important question, but I just don't think we're going to get an answer on the question Honestly, until after the summer, you know, as 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 I referenced earlier, I, I, I just, we we definitely believe people are going to go out and travel. Certainly over the summer, you know, they're going to have their their so called vaccinations as they as they're vaccinated and get out and about. And I think when you come back, when they come back after those, and and kids can return to school finally in a lot of areas where they haven't been back in school, that's going to free up labor availability of parents that were forced to stay home and stay with their their children. And I guess we'll just have to see what the wage rates are going to need to be to pull those those people that are on the sidelines back into the labor force. And it, and it might not be significant. And it, and, and it might, in fact, play out that the Fed is 100 percent correct on that, that, um, you know, that, that these inflationary forces are temporary. And, and, and certainly um, that'll be the tell in our mind. We're just not going to have a great answer on this question, I don't think, until until you get into the fall um, but certainly, as much as as the Fed and and we can say that we don't, uh, you know, we don't believe these things to be to be long lasting. It, the key that you you also referenced, obviously, in your question was um, was monitoring long term inflationary expectations because once that kind of once that gets out of the bag, then I think that could force the Fed's hand to to take more you know, disciplined action, if you will, with regard to monetary policy in terms of, you know, taking away some of the, I guess, so-called punch bowl. Right. And I guess, you know, the uncertainty is perhaps what's causing some of the jitters that we're experiencing in the market right now. 
And Tim, let's let's say that we do see uh, an inflationary uptick that that could be longer lasting. How does that impact the equation for small cap equities going forward? And are there any sectors that might be better positioned than others? Should we see higher inflation? Well, you know, Matt, as as Eric noted, the Fed is telling us that lasting inflation is unlikely, but the bond market certainly tells a different story, and it's suggesting that there's an increased likelihood of inflation. But like a rising rate environment, periods of low and rising inflation tend to be very good for small caps on an absolute basis and also relative to large caps. Uh, Higher inflation also tends to favor small cap value over small cap growth. So even growth managers like us who have a valuation tilt to their discipline can tend to get better relative performance in these periods. You asked about sectors that are best positioned for an inflationary environment. Historically, that's tended toward the more cyclical industries like energy or industrials and materials that might benefit from better pricing power and increasing margins. But we believe there are still opportunities in less expensive companies within technology, consumer, and even healthcare. Uh, Let me just caveat that at some level, rising rates and inflation can be a negative for stocks, including small caps. But we think we have a long ways to go before that happens. Right. And so if we do have a good runway, I guess then then the question is maybe thinking on a, a more tactical basis. You know, we've seen a pretty rapid increase in a lot of these more cyclical companies like you'd mentioned, Tim. So if we dive a little bit deeper into some of these industries that are up significantly, Eric, we, we've seen a big run in, in different pockets of in the industrials, some of the EV-related names, alternative energy. Do you think this run is sustainable? And how do you manage risks around that when you can see names move so significantly in such a short period of time? Yeah, you know, I, I think post the election, we certainly saw a understandable surge in investor appetite for clean energy, um, sustainable, you know, ESG type thematic names, you know, recognizing that you would have obviously a Democratic controlled House and Senate to really help uh, President Biden push through some green initiatives. And and that's fully understandable. But I think, you know, one of the issues that kind of came about was the use of ETFs, these thematic ETFs as vehicles to express a bullish opinion uh, led to really a um, an upward surge in valuations across those names that really went well beyond what you could probably expect those companies to deliver at least in 2021 on the earnings front. And you know, I, I think we've already seen, courtesy of the backup in interest rates, kind of uh, an unwind of some of those valuation excesses in those alt energy names. So I think that's really creating an opportunity for us to really kind of dig further into those names and find the right opportunities. And then I you know I would just I just point out the the other dynamic to this is that there certainly was a handful of very successful, you know, SPAC vehicles that moved into this EV space, this alt energy space that that captured tremendous attention from investors, did exceptionally well. And I think the the one rule of thumb that we've already seen is that if something works and Wall Street can make money off of it, you're going to see that repeated. There's a new one of those that pop up every day, courtesy of investment bankers who are obviously um, interested in, in capturing fees on those transactions. So, you know, I think we've seen a supply of EV uh, stocks really kind of overwhelm the demand. And I think there's kind of, there's certainly been already a... Um, a period of unsettling in the market where you really had to kind of go back and dig through 
what is actually worth something and what what isn't you know that's already been brought to market so there's already a, you know a big a, a shakeout obviously um, and that's underway and that's you know entirely healthy against the backdrop of that surge and kind of euphoria that we saw earlier on. And I think that that extends, you know, anytime you get one of these thematic rushes, whether it's electric vehicles or even obviously uh, legalization of marijuana attracted a lot of attention, there will be a surge of supply of investment opportunities for people to play it. So you don't necessarily have to pay nosebleed valuations because if you are, you can be well assured that in the future, uh, your local investment banker will bring you several more of those just like it. So there were clear excesses in valuation and speculation in this area of the market that are being wrung out. Again, the catalyst was the backup in interest rates and the increased supply brought to market through these SPACs. So, so I, think, I think we're kind of returning to a more normal and healthy environment and it's one where you can really dig in and try to find the best names to uh, to play because without a doubt it is a an endurable theme that um, that should be a, a good source of growth for you know the market overall in, in the coming years and now I just want to dig just a little bit deeper into spacs because they've taken a lot of flack recently as, as being pockets of excess like you had mentioned but on the flip side, SPACs have also provided some, some I'd say, long overdue new lifeblood into the small cap space where we haven't really seen that much new issuance outside of, say, biotechnology. How do you look at SPACs and perhaps the viability of investments? And do you think overall the, the growth in SPACs is a good thing for the markets? Or do you think it's one of the situations where you really have to be very careful? You know, we don't actually invest in SPACs that um, that are brought to market purely as blank check companies. And you know, I referenced earlier celebrity SPACs, where you're you know you're seeing high profile athletes with their names on on the door kind of come to market. And you know, if the deals are priced at ten, you know, I think that we were in a we were in an environment there for a bit where they would immediately trade to. Twelve dollars, and and obviously you know eleven dollars and fifty cents. You're gonna you're you're making some good money on the SPAC deal itself, but more recently, I think the deals are kind of trading flat, so it's not as compelling to get in on the SPAC. We we, we certainly will look at you know the DSPAC transaction, which which also by the way you know is accompanied by an, typically an equity raise. So you don't necessarily have to be in on the initial. SPAC offering and 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 I think what'll be interesting will as this plays out because there's you know there's there's only so many targets out there and so and certainly there's a lot of SPAC money already in the market but they're going to when they identify their targets and the businesses that they want to invest in or to own they're going to have to come back and raise more capital so it'll be interesting to see how it plays out because you could get into an environment where people want their money back if the, if these deals don't come to fruition and i you know we're definitely as interest rates move up which i don't think there's any any doubt that there's going to there's going to be upward pressure on interest rates that there's going to be you know more scrutiny on these transactions and that's all very healthy very healthy for the market so you're you know you're but you're right in the sense that it does create opportunities for small cap investors and and i think you know, you could also see a trend coming out where SPACs will acquire a business line of a, of a larger conglomerate to bring it public via that transaction. 
and that could certainly you know be an interesting trend going forward and and as you mentioned have very positive implications for the overall small cap investment universe so so you're you're absolutely 100% right in that regard and i think that you know any type of more rational behavior should be very well received by the market because it is a risk that they're going to chase deals and and the economics of the future transactions will you know be compromised and and the public shareholders would be the ones that that lose out I'm going to transition a little bit now, since I think we've set the stage pretty well, and just tie some of these themes together that we've discussed. We, we've seen a large run, like we talked about, in alternative energy names. We've also seen a big run in biotechnology, pharmaceuticals, life sciences over the past year. And I think that points to another big trend that has dominated the small cap space lately, which is the run in the smallest of the small companies and also lower quality companies. And Tim had mentioned this potentially being a good environment for active managers. So I'll start with Tim. Maybe you can help our our listeners uh, contextualize how this environment with some of these trends going on has impacted active manager performance in small caps uh, and what sort of headwinds that's presented, but then looking forward to uh, some of the more opportunities or reasons why active management can outperform. Uh, sure, Matt. Some of these have presented a massive headwind in recent years. You know, biotech, for example, has significantly outperformed the Russell 2000 growth for the last five years, and it's currently around 20% of that index. Given that the significant majority of these businesses don't make money, like 90% of biotechs in the in the benchmark don't make money, it can be tough to keep up. Uh, you know, we see a similar phenomenon in areas like alternative energy, software as a service, and cloud computing. To frame the conversation a little bit, over the past five years, companies with zero earnings have outperformed earners by over 14% annually. And in 2020, those non-earners, that non-earner cohort, outperformed earners by over 50 percentage points. They were up almost 70% versus profitable businesses up just shy of uh, 18%. And with this massive run that these lower quality stocks have been on, non-earners now make up nearly half of the companies in the Russell 2000 Growth Index. We saw similar percentages back during the tech bubble, and I think we all know how that ended. We're certainly not making macro calls, but if the market action over the last few weeks and months continues, then you could see the higher quality names that our philosophy favors continue to outperform. And we certainly believe that higher quality outperforms lower quality over time. Fortunately, we found ways to keep up with the non-earners when those are working well. And while we may not prefer the so-called public science experiment biotech stocks that are relying on a binary outcome from a drug approval to succeed. There are other ways to participate in the broader growth of biotech. You know, that may be through companies providing tools and services to the industry uh, or companies that already have an approved and profitable drug, but they're driving further growth by broadening markets for their drug uh, or developing other drugs in their pipeline. For example, we've done research on a company that had a failed drug candidate, but now licenses an outstanding drug delivery technology they created to a number of other biotech and pharma companies. Uh, You know, and in the case of Alt Energy, as I mentioned, uh, you know, there are opportunities to invest in companies that provide enabling technologies and infrastructure to the industry, and they don't have to suffer the losses that some of the emerging technologies are amassing. And Eric, kind of building on this, you know, if you look at this performance of smaller and smaller companies and what we've seen lately, how do you think that that impacts some of the areas that you cover? And do you think it could be sustainable going forward? And, you know, what might cause this recent change uh, to continue? You know, to the extent that the quintile, the smallest market cap stocks in the benchmark being exceptionally strong performers, I think is a, is a clear headwind to all active managers that that manage 
a substantial asset level. I mean, you simply are not going to get that much exposure to that micro cap sleeve of the overall market. And certainly those are going to be the stocks that typically recover most sharply uh, during a um, you know post-recession boom that we're in. So that really is to be expected. But I think as we kind of move into a more normalized phase of economic growth in the back half of 2021, 2022, I, I think those headwinds subside. So there's really nothing abnormal that's going on. It's just clearly names that were beaten down the hardest during the pandemic are the ones that are that are recovering. And it's an area that you can benefit not owning. And then you kind of have to just kind of grit and bear it when they recover. And you know, I, I think that the caveat to the discussion would have to circle back to my comments about profit margins. And 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 for sure, some of those companies that are more cyclically, deeply cyclically exposed, that are more in the commodity based, you know, side of the equation, that don't necessarily have great pricing power. Are going to be the ones that are really challenged to control and improve those profit margins, and and that dynamic is going to be the key uh, for them to to continue to outperform in 2021 and into 2022. Great, I think all of this provides some great context for I think what the million dollar question really is, which is going forward, what do you think are some of the most interesting opportunities as we head into the rest uh, of 2021? We've established that small caps can, can perform well in the type of environment we're in. Uh, Eric has established some of the risks that we have to, to look at going forward. So maybe, Tim, why don't we start with you to, to discuss what you think are some of the best opportunities, and then uh, we'll let Eric finish things off. Yeah, you know, we we expect the next several months should be a fun and interesting time in the market. Uh, the market trades on expectations. So like I said earlier, a rising rate environment and even the anticipation of inflation should bode well for small caps. The setup seems to favor value over growth, but we believe a philosophy with a strong valuation discipline and an eye for higher quality, profitable businesses like we implement should still be able to perform well on both an absolute and relative basis. Uh, we're optimistic that the world should return to some semblance of normalcy in the back half of the year, which should drive a lot of activity by consumers and travelers, though those stocks already reflect a fair amount of optimism. Uh, but trends like cloud computing and software as a service that were bolstered by the work from home world that we've been in, uh, you know, they may slow a little bit, but they're likely to continue growing longer term. A lot of these stocks have gotten expensive, but there are still great values to be found, and we're going to work hard to continue to uncover those. Yeah, I would just emphasize something in terms of on a sector level basis that the groups that we're seeing acting quite well right now, which is really consumer discretionary, uh, the transports, the home builders, those are really mid-cycle type of performers. And I think that that's especially encouraging in light of the fact that we have had this backup in rates, um, that we're continuing to see kind of the mid-cycle names do well. And, And again, you know, Thinking about the summer and thinking about everyone going on their vaccination, obviously leisure and travel should be exceptional performers. But I think when you, you know, at some point the market is probably going to transition into the late stage names, the late cycle names, and, and really at the top of the list is going to be energy. And, you know, energy is obviously an area that people have been absolutely obliterated by over the last, I don't know, 10 years. <laughs> and um, it's one where you've got really kind of a new regime on the management side because people um, have really been forced to succumb to, you know, I'll call it equity vigilanteism. Um, they've really, you know, their share prices have been depressed for so long that they're forced 
equity investors will no longer tolerate energy companies that are going to grow their um, oil and gas production just for the sake of production growth. They want to see real returns of capital. They want to see, you know, returns on investments that exceed the weighted cost of capital. And, and you're certainly, you know, at the same time, you're getting some pretty good support here from OPEC showing discipline, you know, now that they've got their market share back. As long as North America kind of keeps in line with a more disciplined production recovery, uh, which I think the equity markets will demand, you know, that certainly is an, is an area where you could see you know, real outperformance, which which would be, you know, somewhat interesting in the fact that it was basically the only sector that did not work in 2020. So uh, this could really be the, the year of recovery for energy, which, you know, overall is a very small percent of the Russell, you know, growth benchmark. I think it's less than a percent, which in and itself is actually a pretty good tell that things are pretty washed out in that sector I mean that's down from at least six or seven percent several years ago. So, so obviously not a not a top of mind for people, but certainly an area where you could see upside surprise, especially if these uh, companies can actually show an ability to return cash to investors and put up returns on these um, on their projects that exceed the cost of capital. And I think they can also get bonus points if they can kind of come up with a strategy that can help them pivot into cleaner fuels, uh, cleaner energy sources over the intermediate to, to longer term, which could be a tall order, but, but is nonetheless you know, a source of upside surprise that investors should probably be considering as we work our way through 2021. Well, excellent. I think that's a lot of really good ideas for, for our listeners. And Eric and Tim, I certainly appreciate your time today. To our listeners, thanks very much. And until next time, take care. Thanks for listening to Markets in Focus from Carillon Tower Advisors. Please find additional episodes and market insight at marketsinfocuspodcast.com. You can also subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast app. Until next time, I'm Matt Orton. Podcasts are for informational purposes only. This channel is not monitored by Carillon Tower Advisors. Please visit marketsandfocuspodcast.com for additional disclosure. This material is a general communication being provided for information purposes only. It is educational in nature and not designed to be taken as advice or a recommendation for any specific investment product, strategy, plan feature, or other purpose in any jurisdiction, nor is it a commitment from Carillon Tower Advisors or any of its affiliates to participate in any of the transactions mentioned herein. Any examples used are generic, hypothetical, and for illustration purposes only. This material does not contain sufficient information to support an investment decision, and you should not rely on it in evaluating the merits of investing in any securities or products. In addition, you Users should make an independent assessment of the legal, regulatory, tax, credit, and accounting implications and make their own determinations together with their own professionals in those fields. Any forecasts, figures, opinions, or investment techniques and strategies set out are for information purposes only based on certain assumptions and current market conditions and are subject to change without prior notice. All information presented herein is considered to be accurate at the time of production, but no warranty of accuracy is given and no liability in respect of any error or omission is accepted. It should be noted that investment involves risks. The value of investments and the income from them may fluctuate in accordance with market conditions and taxation agreements, and investors may not get back the full amount invested. Both past performance and yields are not reliable indicators of current and future results. 
Past performance does not guarantee or indicate future results. There is no guarantee that these investment strategies will work under all market conditions, and each investor should evaluate their ability to invest for the long term, especially during periods of downturn in the market. Investing involves risk and may incur a profit or loss. Investment returns and principal value will fluctuate so that an investor's portfolio, when redeemed, may be worth more or less than their original cost. Diversification does not ensure a profit or guarantee against loss.